these times of fast change, have you ever thought architecture might be falling a bit short and wondered what's next? Well, let's find out. My name is Luca De Stefano, I'm one of the founders of Nona, and this is Boundary Breaking Businesses Beyond Architecture. Designers and commissioners of tomorrow speaking today. Episode 5, Part 2, Career Change. Hi everyone, welcome back at Beyond Architecture. This is actually the second part of our conversation with Jake Rudin. If you missed the first, I highly advise you to go back because we left it on kind of a cliffhanger. For all the others, let's go. Mm. Oh, Luca, you're breaking my heart. Um, <laughs> no, this is a fabulous conversation and, and you are... Um, you know, you're not only a spectacular interviewer, but I think you, that your points are equally as valid um, to, you know, to argue the counterpoint. Um, and in a sense, I think this is what I believe. There is power in, you know, looking around you and understanding the context in which you are designing and also that design is a part of a very large system. When we go into school at such a young age, um, you know, that's not to say that we can't do amazing things. Um, but I think it is still very true that it's really hard to grasp the reality of your position. And that reality really only sets in when you leave school and are thrust either into a position of zero control, um, you know, in an architecture firm where you're being told you have no technical understanding, you've never done this before, you're starting from scratch. Um, that is a, a real wake up call for a lot of people. It's very, very jarring. Um, because in school, you have total, total control over over the creative process. Falling in love with that, though, is really important because I feel like if we trained architects from their very, very earliest stages to understand how little control they had, the ambitions would be so highly diminished. You know, we would, we would never think that we would be able to do some of the absolutely incredible things that architects go out and do in the world, you know, whether it's designing buildings or, you know, helping to rethink or restructure the way that we look at, you know, certain areas of our of our lives. I, I'm hesitant to say that I, you know, would want to give up that experience of, you know, that that total empowerment that comes with an architecture degree. I have to say, I like that you got me. Uh, like the total <laughs> empowerment uh, that describes very well, you know, that feeling of creating a mm -hmm. design, imagining a reality that in the end might not happen, but it's there. Um, I, I want to circle back to, to the way you work with out of architecture. I have just some practical questions to understand better. What's your methodology? Yeah, of course. And so who is part of your organization today? We have uh, an organization of about 10 people. Um, oh, our, 10. our whole team, yeah, our whole team is uh, in, in some aspect or another, um, you know, part time, I would say. And, you know, for many of us, um, 
you know, we have a, either a full-time job or we do this because we absolutely love it. Um, the organization is myself and Aaron as the founders. Um, we are also, uh, you know, sometimes advisors to clients still, um, although we're stepping away from that little by little here. Um, we have four other advisors um, who have joined us over the course of the last year and a half or so. Um, who work with clients all around the world. Um, we have an advisor in the United Kingdom, Chi. We have an advisor in New York, Ellen, one in Los Angeles, Helen, and we have uh, someone who is in Atlanta at the moment. His name is Nate. And, you know, between uh, the six of us, really, we support clients on everything in their transition from deciding to make the transition through to kind of telling their own narrative to applications, to the technicalities of, uh, you know, preparing materials or networking, and then all the way into even the very end of the process um, in salary negotiation. So we have a very strong presence in the kind of coaching and advising space. Um, but we also have uh, Sylvia, who is the host of Tangents, who runs the Tangents podcast for us and has been an, an absolutely fabulous contributor to the organization. And we have a couple of people who uh, are in the background, but who do an immense amount of work on our uh, socials and digital media and strategy, Nora and Jasmine, who uh, handle that side of things. So it's a pretty large team at this point. Um, and it has only has only become so um, over the last couple of years. It took a very long time to kind of establish and build a presence um, to the point where not only were we confident that we could support other individuals, you know, and and pay contractors, um, <laughs> but at the same time, um, we were very shy of letting anyone into um, the brand because it has has really been um you know something that i think has been kind of taboo for a long time to talk about you know encourage people even to leave the profession uh you know when they need to uh, granted we don't mm -hmm. go out and tap architects on the shoulder and tell them like you should you should get out but we do you know welcome them with open arms um yeah and it's been uh, it's been wonderful though to find so much support in the community and pretty much everyone who has come on board to the team um has has come in and uh, you know found us and wanted to support the mission and um you know been been an absolutely incredible asset so could we define you as career coaches in a way i think that's a very strong definition we um we've been tossing around some other terms for the business as a whole because it's become so multivalent um you know not only is it coaching and advising but it's also um you know content we do some recruiting we do some you know talent sourcing we have a newsletter and a patreon and we have a podcast and we're actually about to release a second podcast and we have all kinds Ooh. of yeah i'll tease that <laughs> for later um you know so we're i think we're leaning more towards the idea of being um a career resource network uh, for people where they can come to us at various points in their career, not just in the moment of transition. So the experience is quite broad. You have seen a lot of people throughout the years. May I ask how many? Personally, I am very close to 2000 
um, introductory calls. We do we do thirty minute calls with our um, clients. No, sorry, two thousand two thousand yes. people. But we as an organization are probably closer to about five thousand. Okay, this is massive. I have no idea. I had no idea so far that this was so big. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Wow. Um, we maybe had 10 people the first year. We had something like 50 in the second year. Then we had several hundred. And then we had, I don't know, we must have had easily over a thousand last year and so on. It's been getting, it's just been getting bigger and bigger. Um, and there is a, there's a, a little bit of a discrepancy in the metrics because there are people who have come to us as clients, which is still in that thousands range. And then there are just people who have come to talk about out of architecture and, and find out what it is and express themselves. And, you know, sometimes who have no intention of, of coming on as clients, um, but who we still end up in a little bit of career therapy, uh, you know. Um, how do you balance that with your job at Adidas? Because this is also quite a big piece of responsibility. Let's put it like that. Mm -hmm. No, it's absolutely true. Um, people ask me that all the time. Um, you know, and there's, I've heard a bunch of cliche answers like, well, you make time for the things that you love, or, you know, you have to, you know, you have to work hard to be able to establish your own thing. The truth of the matter is I am extremely lucky in the sense that, um, you know, I've been able not only to, uh, find a role that I am very confident in that, you know, I understand what is, what is being required of me that I'm very capable of delivering, um, that I enjoy doing, but also a role that is in some ways a perfect fit for someone who has this particular passion because I run a computational design engineering team. I work with a huge array of, um, experts and specialists. And actually the work that I do in out of architecture has a very positive impact on my work at Adidas. When I post a position for a computational designer, I have a pretty endless amount of applicants, um, which is something that can be very difficult to source and find. Obviously, the Adidas mm -hmm. name helps with that quite significantly. Um, but my work and my network has provided me with a really strong group of people who have supported me in hiring a huge number of roles. I have actually helped um, teams across the organization to find really specific talent for like geometric software development and for computational design and for marketing and, and visual, um, designing. And it's, it's interesting to see these things sort of overlap over the years. And what I realized early on was, you know, it's very, very shy of saying anything about this, this passion project, right? This side business that I had. Um, and the more I started to speak about it openly, specifically when we published, um, the out of architecture book last year, um, I realized that my team, my management, they are so supportive of people doing what it is that makes them happy and especially encouraging, you know, bringing that and bringing your whole self back to work. So that is very much, um, a positive element of culture that is pretty specific to Adidas, um, that I wish was, I wish was common everywhere, um, that has allowed me to kind of balance these two things. So 
you know, the understanding nature of, of my team has made it really critical. Um, and it actually makes it really hard to want to change jobs or move anywhere else simply for the fact that, you know, when I interview at other places and they ask me about out of architecture, or when I tell them about it, I'm very clear that this is something that I do, you know, on a daily basis. And I'm lucky that the, you know, the out of architecture team handle the majority of things during working hours, but it's, it's a big part of who I am. And I expect to be able to, to do that wherever I go. That's interesting because I think most architecture offices might have problems with something like this. Like imagine you're running your passion project next to your main architecture job. How do they handle that? Like I, I noticed this as a pain point. I don't know how you see it. Yeah, it's interesting because there are um, there are very few examples within architecture of really supportive firms helping people to kind of do what it is that they they crave. Um, and yet I know so many people who have left architecture and there is a much higher percentage of them who are doing something else on the side. In fact, most of our advisors work for companies that are excited that they're supporting and advising for out of architecture because they have access to this great talent pool. You know, they have something else that they enjoy doing. They get other mentorship experience and coaching experience, um, which I should have mentioned earlier is, you know, leading a team. I also, you know, I need to be a good coach and a good leader. And I have mm -hmm. probably more practice than anyone else in the, <laughs> in the Adidas organization <laughs> at coaching and mentoring. So that's uh, definitely another, another bonus if my boss is listening. <laughs> well, if I count it right, it's 2000 clients, half an hour intro call. It's at least 1000 hours of practice. It's, at least it's far more than that, but yes, it is <laughs> at a minimum. So yeah, I, I have to say I was quite lucky myself throughout my design career. I also nurtured a passion project, which is also what brought us together today. Um, but I also have the feeling that very often, at least in the past, there was this common notion of if you jump on board, you're not jumping on board of a company, you're jumping on board of a mission. Mm. And if you don't share the mission, then it doesn't make a lot of sense for you to be here, or I cannot trust you the same way I would trust someone else that is much more dedicated. Um, which makes me think more in general about what are the big trouble of architecture? Like this could be one, but what do you think are the big issues today? Um, besides this ego component, like what's wrong with architecture if people need to get out? Oh, well, you highlight a very very uh, strong problem, which is that, you know, in many other industries, companies are paying you for a result, you know, and in some ways they're paying for your time, but they're paying for the time it takes to get the job done, right? And doing, you know, achieving a certain result or better is, in a sense, completion of your end of the bargain. Whereas in architecture, I feel like architecture firms feel like they're buying your time. And not only that, but they own your time. So even if you get the result done, you're expected to, you know, continue doing as much as you can in the in the time allotted, right, you know, even under sort of extreme circumstances. But beyond that, there's no respect for the bounds of that, right? Even if you're being paid for a 40 hour work week, 
the expectation is that you're there every hour that you have available. And I think that that is kind of the element that you were talking about um, in regards to like you're you're on board with the mission, not not just the the company, right? That if you are truly telling us that this firm and architecture and design are your life, then this should also be your passion. Why would you need to supplement your life with some other creative endeavor or some other, you know, outside pursuit like hiking or, you know, reading or <laughs> friends? Um, you know, we're your friends, like we're your family. That mentality is so destructive and so painful. Um, and I think it's unfortunate that people outside of architecture, you know, it's very hard for them to see the, the level to which that is being carried out, you know, and in a sense, it's very cult-like and within architecture, it's very difficult to know what the norm is because so many firms act that way and, and treat people in that manner. Um, I always get comments on these, these podcasts or posts or things like that. Like, Oh no, there's no way that people, you know, treat each other that way. Like, you know, that would never fly. That's illegal here in Australia or Germany, or we have set work weeks or, you know, in the Netherlands, this and this, but it happens everywhere. It's a very architecture specific thing. And, um, you know, I, I worked, um, at Massimiliano Fuxas in Rome. And, you know, had, Ooh, had an absolutely, <laughs> yeah, had an absolutely horrendous, um, experience. And, it, you know, was, was just shocked that, you know, of, you know, coming from the States thinking, oh, I'm going to go to a European country. There's all these protections in place and work standards and everyone's so happy. And they're always, you know, drinking cappuccinos and, <laughs> and not like that. No, like it, that, it was friend. not like that. <laughs> At all. Um, and, oh. and I think it's, it, it's really hard for, for people to understand it. And that's also part of what I mean about being a student is like, I think you need that period of protected falling in love with design in order to then go out in the world and, you know, understand, oh, this is not what it's supposed to be like, you know, because I was very lucky mm -hmm. to come from, um, you know, a school and, you know, a set of privileges, obviously, like I'm a white cisgender male, you know, from an upper middle class family. Like, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not saying that this is how everyone is being treated, but I knew going into the architectural context, oh, this is not right. Like, I am not being treated in the way that I should be being treated. Um, and it's sad, actually, to be on the other side of it and have so many people come to me and say, you know, this this, you know, really bad thing happened to me. And, you know, is that my fault? And very often that's, you know, people of color, women, minorities, you know, we, we have so much to apologize for in the architectural profession. Um, mm -hmm. And so much so even that it's kind of, you know, still a little bit of a question of like, well, whose fault is it? You know, like, is it, is it your fault for not being a good enough designer or is it our fault for being, you know, not a woke firm or, uh, you know, it's, it's a really, it's really hard to watch all of this play out even at a distance. Jake, I'm resisting the urge of spending another 10 minutes talking about your experience at Fuxas <laughs> because I'm from Rome. Yeah. Fuxas is like 10 minutes away from my house. I've heard 
horrible stories from multiple people. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that. So let's stop it there. But thank you for sharing. No problem. If you'd like to know more, um, you know, there are some very good stories in the Out of Architecture book. And you're very welcome to go and and listen oh. and have a read. And yeah. Okay, then I'm going to do that. Thanks for mentioning it. Um, uh, also, you teased us before with a second podcast coming up. Correct. I think this fits the topic quite well. Am I right? Yes, that is absolutely true. So over the thousands of calls that we've had, um, you know, they range from people coming to us, you know, with an offer in hand, who are super excited, people who, you know, know exactly what they want to do to the other end of the spectrum of people who are in complete and total crisis and feel absolutely isolated. And we've had people coming to us who were homeless because they were unable to afford to live uh, in the place that they were working because the the conditions and the pay were so bad. We've had people coming to us in uh, entrenched in legal battles with their uh, employers or former employers. We've had people come to us with stories of workplace abuse. We've had people come to us with issues with visas, um, with, you know, li- companies that have undermined them or lied or essentially blackmailed them into, um, you know, working on completely unreasonable hours and conditions and all of these things. Um, and it's crazy because these stories are not one-offs. They're not, you know, as much as each person is individual and each kind of, you know, tragic narrative deserves its own respect. It's very difficult to see this happen and to know that there are people out there who are inevitably going through these kinds of things um, and thinking that they are the only one or that maybe even it's their fault. Um, and so we decided um, that we were going to put together uh, a new podcast. Um, as I mentioned, Tangents is focused very much on the positive trajectories of people who have managed to take their skills and go on and do something else, you know, in the world. Um, but the new podcast red lines, um, is focused around helping to tell the narratives, um, and the stories that should be heard about, um, you know, things that have happened kind of behind the, the curtain of architectural practices and schools. Um, it is not intended to be a sort of, you know, tell all, drama slap in the face to the profession, it's really meant to reach out to um, those individuals who need to hear um, that not only there are people who have kind of gone through these things, um, but also that there are ways of of dealing with them or that there are people that you can speak to about these topics and and really as a way of reaching out to um, to that part of the architectural community who we still feel like are a little bit, um, you know, underserved and, and under recognized. So we hope to be releasing that here in the coming months. And um, we might even have our first episode uh, delivered sometime mid October or in the fall. Um, but yeah, I think the, you know, the concept of it, um, is to both preserve the anonymity of the, the individuals, but also to, you know, kind of allow them to really openly, um, share some of their, their stories with the world. So. Okay. This sounds very good. I'm really curious to hear more. 
Um, before wrapping up, I wanted to ask you for advice to our listeners. That's something we do with every guest. Um, with you, I'm going to take a bit more time. <laughs> sure. And I want to start from far away. First piece of advice for those that want to change career, that are done with architecture, want to try something else. My first piece of advice is don't panic. I think there is very often a difficult mental grappling with this kind of sunk cost fallacy when you choose to leave architecture that says, I've invested so much time and energy in this one title. Now that I've chosen to leave, I have to start over. It's not true. It's really not true. And I think it's actually quite damaging to people's careers when they take that mentality. The piece of advice I would give to architects is to start to think even more positively and analytically about the skills that you've gained during your time in architecture. Try going back through your portfolio and looking at all the projects. And rather than thinking about the design intent or the circulation, think about the way that you solved that problem. Think about all the tools you implemented, the models you made, the, the different, you know, data visualization diagrams or the, you know, the plans, the site context, the sections. Think about all the ways you analyzed that work and presented it and managed the project from start to finish and, you know, resolved minute details and costed out certain things. I mean, those skills those are the things that you will be taking with you, not necessarily the way of <clears throat> waxing nostalgic about, you know, some architectural past. Um, and I think it's important to, at a very early stage in your transition, get into that positive mindset and, and be excited about applying and using all of these skills, some of which maybe have been dormant for years um, in a new context. Okay, beautiful. Second piece of advice, this time for those that want to stay within architecture. Maybe they're running a practice or maybe they're already quite far in their career. There's a long silence here because... I'm trying to decide how polite to be. No, <laughs> no, no. I think, um, you know, we have clients who are very far in their career and still choose to transition. And that's, that is really one of the things that I was, uh, thinking of as, as the, the primary answer. But we do have a lot of clients who choose to stay within architecture. Um, but I think if you are at a point where you're considering a change, it's worth sitting down and figuring out why you're considering a change. Is it because you really want more money? And if it's because you want more money, what do you want to do with that money? You know, what would another $20,000 a year mean to you, you know, in your life, in your current context? What would you be willing to give up for that? You know, do you love the people that you work with? You know, do you love your commute? Do you love, you know, the kind of work that you get to work on? As you start to figure out what it is that you want to keep the same and what it is that you want to change, I think your pathways will start to become more transparent. We often say that we ask our clients to treat their careers like a design problem. And I think that's a very good way for architects to approach their own careers is to begin to put together a very specific brief, you know, that says, 
this is where I would like to be. How much of that is the same as where I am and how much of that is different? And I would just encourage architects who intend on staying in the profession to still look beyond the profession for comparable market conditions, comparable pay, comparable benefits to understand what else there is out in the world. Because, you know, architecture is pretty limiting, I think, when it comes to a lot of those things. You can bring in good things from other professions to your own practice that you're running or to your own business or even if it is, you know, someone who is just freelancing, which I don't really particularly like that word. But if you are an architectural designer who's freelancing for a bunch of clients, you know, what does it mean if you start to call yourself a consultant? And what does it mean if you charge a little bit more for that work? Because you really would like to be doing less hours or you'd like to be, you know, saving for some specific goal or reinvesting in your business. So all of those considerations, I think, are still valid, um, even if someone, you know, doesn't want to leave the, the built environment. Fair enough. I want to leave it there uh, because I think we talked a lot and there is a lot to think about. I just want to thank you once again for, for joining us at Beyond Architecture, Jake. Luca, it's been my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on the show. And uh, if anyone listening cares to reach out, you're very welcome to uh, to get in touch through any one of the out of architecture <laughs> socials or the website or anything like that. It'd be, um, it'd be good to get my numbers up. I'm still looking to cross that 2000 threshold. All right, we are now back from our talk with Jake. It was very interesting, especially if you are now considering changing your career path. We have a little tradition in this podcast. If you are a usual listener, you might know by now. Every week after our chat, we take a moment to think of a creative business model, or more specifically, a boundary-breaking business model, inspired by our conversation with the guest. Here is our idea for this week. The side gig. You don't always have to start a brand new business venture, quit everything, leave it behind and start fresh. Actually, what you could also do is stay in your day job, maybe spare one day a week to dedicate to something else. I know, I know, I know many designers do this already. Most likely they do it with their friends, you know, like teaming up, doing some competitions. And if we get our big hit, we can start a firm and, you know, become famous. I'm not referring to that specifically. I think that worked very well in the past 20, 50 years ago, if you want to be the next Renzo Piano winning a competition for a museum. But what's more likely is that you might build up in time your business. And ideally to do that, I would still apply a business model, thorough thinking of what kind of pipeline of clients you would have, what niche you would serve, what is your acquisition and marketing channels, how much revenues are you going to make. like. Structure it. Structure it maybe around a small but specific ideas and structure it in a way that you can manage it in one day a week. With that one day a week, you can start building something, something that complements maybe your day job and brings value in both realms. Um, something that following the, the, the story from Jake, you know, it could enrich your professional role in your day job, but it could also bring extra revenues, extra perspective for you as a person, as an individual. What that's going to be 
I have no clue. Maybe it could be one of the many business models we're exploring in this podcast. I let you think about that. And if you get some good ideas, please reach out. I'm very curious to hear it. You have the channels here, known a podcasts on Instagram and known dash a on LinkedIn. And whatever platform you're using, hit follow or subscribe and give us a rating. Thank you for staying with us and I'll see you next week. Beyond Architecture is a non-A podcast. This episode has been developed with the financial support of the Dutch Creative Industries Fund. Editorial support and marketing for non-A, Marco Mette Cristofori, Daniela Silva and Francisco Rivera. Sound supervision by Daniel van der Poppe for Sprach Market Media. Advisory, Max Augustine, Martine Chloe van der Bowman, Francesco De Stefano and Anne Bruna. I'm Luca De Stefano, your host, and this was Beyond Architecture.